listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Um, I'm going to read two passages this morning. Um, this is the last Um, This is the third in a series that we've been doing on parenting. We did three weeks on marriage, and then this is the end of three weeks on parenting. I'm going to read two verses to you. One is from the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, and then the next one is going to be a letter that Paul writes to the Colossians, and they're going to be very similar. They're, They're what you might call parallel passages Um, But one will say something the other doesn't, and vice versa. And so I want you to hear these two verses. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Then to the Colossians, he writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's the word of the Lord. I pray he would bless our time as we consider uh, these two passages. As I said, I want to talk about parenting this morning. And in doing this, I, I have two um, purposes. One is that I want to talk to parents. I, I want to say, okay, listen, this is God's word. It has instructive truth for us. And that instructive truth transcends what our common sense is, and we need that. We we all need that. We need the instruction of God's Word to transcend our common sense. And at the same time, I want to talk to the church as well. The um, What I might call the parental support system or the the child support system. Uh, Leo Tolstoy wrote it this way. He said, without the support from the church, no father or, or mother using his own resources, would be able to bring up a child. Parenting is lonely business. I mean, you you love your child with all your breath. At the same time, you wonder, okay, what kind of damage am I doing? Am I doing this right? I know I've often found myself thinking to myself, I am making this up as I go. I really have no idea what I'm doing in this moment. See, there are some weights that parents carry around. Um, The parents that are here this morning, the ones that you saw uh, dropping their children off at children's ministry or in the nursery, um, there are weights that parents carry around. One of those weights is the weight of comparison. I mean, you can think, man, I'm having a great day. I mean, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. I've gotten my kids off to school. Or, or maybe, you know, it's summertime. They're not up yet, but breakfast is, is laid out for them when they, when they wake up, right? And, um, and then, you know, 9.05, you think, well, I'll just, I'll just run through my Facebook feed for a second. And as you scroll through that, you begin to see, oh, man, all these other children are, all these other families, all these other Parents, and it's not long before the weight of comparison can begin to crush your soul. You know, another weight 
that parents carry around is a weight of embarrassment. Um, this is not necessarily embarrassed of their children. It, um, it has more to do with what they imagine their child's behavior says about them. I don't know about you, but you know, if you've ever dropped your child off or you've ever been in a restaurant or you've ever uh, you know, been at, at, at a grocery store and it's that moment, it's that moment your child decides that the moment in this week that they're going to melt down, they're going to do that in public. And you begin to feel the shame and the embarrassment thinking, I wonder what, what everybody here thinks about me. There's the weight of comparison. There's the weight of embarrassment. There's also the weight of failure. I mean, it's not hard to begin the day as a rock star and end the day in absolute despair as a parent. And in all of this, I think what Paul is saying to us, Paul's writing what he's saying in the context of a letter to a church. He's not penning a letter, hey, okay, moms and dads, this is only for moms and dads, or, 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 or fathers, it's Father's Day, I'm going to write a Father's Day letter. And he's not just writing, he's writing to the church, he's writing to the entire church. And there's a whole lot of things Paul has to say to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae. And this is one bit of it, and it's meant to be read and to be heard in the context of a church because the parents need the church. The, the, the church we, we need to care the parents in our midst. We need to show them grace. We need to love their children. I mean, listen, I grew up in a single parent home. I was the oldest of five children, and I am telling you, we wouldn't have made it without the church. We wouldn't have made it with other believers, with other, without other adults. I mean, my mom was an amazing woman, but she would be the first to tell you, and it wasn't me. I remember as a new parent, uh, we were far from home. So two weeks after Maggie, my oldest, was born, um, I moved my wife. Two, two weeks after Maggie was born, I moved my wife eight hours away from her mom uh, to a place that she'd never been and never lived before. And so if you're contemplating a decision like that, let me just say it's a great time to rethink that decision. Um, but there she was, two, two weeks a mom, I'm two weeks a dad, and we don't know hardly anybody. And I'm telling you, if it hadn't been for, for Kathy, who saw my wife in the grocery store walking around in a, in a fog and, and with this little baby that she really had no idea what to do with, if, if Kathy, this this woman, this godly woman who loved the Lord, hadn't come and had said, hey, uh, my name's Kathy, and your baby's so cute, and began a conversation with her and exchanged numbers and then began to meet with Leslie every week at the playground just to get her outside. I don't, I don't know. We wouldn't have made it without Kathy. We were in our late 20s and early 30s. We wouldn't have made it without our, our church and, and Richardson. And I'll tell you, we wouldn't have made it without Bethel. I mean, without the, the counsel and the care of folks like Dan and Kay Bolin and Chuck and Inez Colley and Rick and Jane Rogers and 
Hall and Patty Keel, and I could go on and on and on of folks that have, have spoken into our lives in ways they knew they were speaking into our lives, in ways they didn't know they were. There are countless others. And so what Paul's telling us, I think he's going to tell us three things about godly parenting, about godly parenting in the midst of of the church. And so there these three things. One is that that our our children our children uh, would learn to love. Uh, secondly, that our children would learn the grace and truth of who Jesus is. And thirdly, that our children would launch into this world. So look at me, look with me. I'm going to spend most of our time in Ephesians chapter 6. And the first is that our children would learn to love. Notice what he says. He says, do not provoke your children to anger. And then in Colossians, he'll say, lest they become discouraged. It talks about something right away to avoid. So fathers, um, fathers and mothers, I think he includes parents here, but specifically addresses it to fathers. So fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Maybe your Bible says exasperate. Don't exasperate them. It has to do with frustration. It's, it's obviously not saying, it's not saying this. It's not saying, fathers, you never, never make your children angry. I mean, that's absolutely impossible. I mean, with anybody that you love, there will be times when you have to tell them the truth. And, and, and the truth is not always met with joy. I mean, you, you'll get people angry if you love them and you're in relationship with them and you're not a complete coward, okay? So it doesn't mean that. I think it actually means something far worse. It really means that it is possible, fathers, parents, it's possible to create in children a sort of settled anger, a, a, a disposition of being frustrated and resentful and abiding in, in permanent way. So, so, so it's not saying, hey, listen, um, because of your, uh, of your parenting, it's not that you'll never make your children angry, but it is very possible because of your parenting to raise angry children. I think there are a couple of reasons or a couple of environments that as Paul's writing here and addressing parents um, that foster that anger. One is what I would call a, a dictatorship, a dictatorship in the home. The, the word provoking literally means a, an irritation caused by nagging and demeaning in the context of everyday life. That, that leads to anger. And anger will grow out of frustration of never being able to please your parents, never being able to please your father, never being able to please the adults that you know in your life as a child. See, I think some parents, they think, look, strict control, that's the answer to all the problems in child rearing. So, so the decisions of strict control oftentimes come out very unreasonable, very arbitrary, to the degree that even a toddler can sense. This isn't right. You know, another thing about dictatorship is um, it has the tendency to, to respond not just to a child's behavior, but it has a tendency, it has a tendency to attack 
personality. Well, you, you, you're just too silly. You're just too giggly all the time. You, 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 you're so loud. You're always so loud. Don't you have an inside voice? You know, that, that laugh you have, that crazy laugh you have, it just grates on my nerves. They say things like, you're always lazy. You're always late. And I would say, listen, it's best to drop the words always and never from your speech. We don't have any idea what the always and never of our children are. Well, there's dictatorship on the one hand. I think on the other hand, there's anarchy. So if too much control is dictatorship, then too little control leads to anarchy. See, when the parents are totally permissive, who's in charge? The children are. If you only reason with them, if you only dialogue and talk and persuade and that sort of thing, listen, you can frustrate your children as just as much because you're forgetting they're not adults. Children need to know the presence of your authority because the presence of your authority is a source of security. I have a friend, Dan Bolin. Uh, some of you might know Dan. He always been very helpful to me. One of the illustrations that he uses, he said, look, uh, kids need a high fence and a big playground. So, so if we're looking for the balance, which I think Paul is between a dictatorship and an anarchy, we need a high fence and a big playground. He said it this way, when you put a fence around a playground, the kids will use the whole playground. Clear boundaries provide security. So, so on one level, Knowing that you have to come home when the streetlights comes on lets you play freely until then. Just only set rules that are important and that you're going to enforce. The, the big things. For instance, one of those that Dan told me about, he said, my kids growing up, here was one of them. Don't skip school. Nothing good happens when you skip school, and there are major consequences if you skip school. Not negotiable. But a bunch of little rules that kids disregard, parents don't enforce, at least consistently, little inconsistent, meaningless, harsh rules, those provoke. I would say this, if there's not room for your child to fail, if there's not room for the kids at this church to fail, the playground is too small. So see, at the same time, though, if the kids don't feel the security of our authority, if, if the, the fences, then the, the, they aren't high enough. And, and so as a parent, listen, there are times that the fences need to be moved and the playground become bigger. There are times when your child will mature faster than you're growing up as a parent. I'll give you one example. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Maggie, she unfortunately, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Swindoll. I said, you, you raise one child, um, you apologize to them at the end. All the others will, will get with the program. My oldest daughter, uh, we set up a counseling fund when she was really young, just in case. But I remember we had a, there were five or six couples of us. We had a parent pact, if you will. It was Back in the day when we were trying to decide about 
um, our kids having cell phones and at what age they'd have a cell phone. So this was before, you know, they sort of issued cell phones um, when the child was born in the hospital. Uh, um, so, so we were really wrestling with this. So there were five or six couples of us. I'll, I'll, I'll name some names. I don't, I don't mind that at all. There was the David and Elizabeth Anderson. There were the Bices. Jeff is our uh, missions pastor. Um, we all had kids about the same age. And Andrew and Sarah Green were in there. Their, their daughter was, was Maggie's age. And the, and the pact was this. I remember we all sat down. We were at a restaurant. We sat down. We said, okay, what, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to hold that. We don't care what the rest of the world does. Man, we're going to agree to this. And so we were in the, uh, our kids were in the sixth grade, and we decided, you know what? It was the spring of eighth grade that we'd look at cell phones as they were getting ready to go into high school. So this is fall of sixth grade. We're looking at spring of eighth grade, and that's the pact we made as parents. Well, it's, um, it's the beginning of the second semester of seventh grade. And Maggie and I are driving down Broadway. I'll, I'll never forget where we were. And she's saying, Dad, you know, and she's being sweet. She's being respectful. She, she knows what the rule is. She, she's not antagonizing me. She's, she's helping me along. She has matured faster than I've grown up as a parent, okay? She says, Dad, look, everybody has a cell phone. And I know, I know you're going to say everybody, and I did, and I said, everybody? Everybody has a cell phone? Everybody? There's seven billion people on the planet. Everybody has a cell phone? I said, look, Dad, all my friends have cell phones. It's the way we communicate. You used to write notes in school. This is what we do. We text. This is how. This is the social highway for, for kids my age. Everybody has one. Well, the parenting pack had not lasted very long. So the pagan parents, the Andersons, the Bices, the, they, they'd already folded. Those godless children were carrying cell phones around, Okay. And I told Maggie, I said, look, I know not everybody has a cell phone. I can promise you, Abby Green does not have a cell phone. She said, no, Dad, Abby has a cell phone. So I said, oh, really? So I pulled out my phone, called Andrew Green. He's on the speaker. He answers. I said, Andrew, this is Ross Strader. He says, hey, man, how's it going? I said, great. I'm here with Maggie. She's trying to tell me that Abby has a cell phone. Complete silence on the other end. <laughs> My daughter had matured faster than I was growing up as a parent. You know, I'll tell you one of the things that we have prayed for our kids. Maybe, maybe you pray this for your kids. My mom had always prayed it for me, and that is that their sins will be found out. It, and it was a pretty effective prayer. I mean, you say, Mom, stop praying that. You know, that next-door neighbor, Alan Duggar, he had a sling, got a slingshot for his birthday, and we're trying to see if it works on the neighbor's skylight windows, and it turns out it does. It worked. And 10 years old, the police come into your house. That's a bad day. Um, we have two big rules in our house. They don't have to be the same rules you have, but would your kids be able to boil down your home into, hey, these are the two or three big rules. In our home, they are related to disrespect and dishonesty. They know above all things, listen, disrespect is not tolerated in any way, particularly disrespect to their mother. Dishonesty, 
is not tolerated. That the truth, no matter what the truth is, will always go better for you than a lie. Their children need to learn about their relationship with God from the relationship they have with us as parents, with us as, as adults in the church. And, and, and I want our children to know, listen, God, God is to be respected because he's the king. And then, and then we owe our respect to each other because we've been made in the image of God. And because of that, we don't disrespect. And we don't live and speak dishonestly. I want my children to know, listen, God knows you. He knows everything about you. And if you've blown it, say that you've blown it. It is good to teach our sons and daughters about confession. Confession gives way to forgiveness. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 is John's writing to the church. He calls them little children. If we say we're without sin, we're a liar. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul wants our children to learn to love. Angry children don't love. The second is, is that our children would learn that they, he says it this way, that bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul's going to help us understand this balance, and he's going to use three words. There are three words in the Greek that he uses in this one phrase. The first word is nurture, to bring up. The next word is discipline, and the last word he uses is instruction. To speak about nurturing, the fathers, the parents, they're exhorted to nurture the children. If you went all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'd see the instructions that God gave Israel in these verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then he goes on and says, listen, teach these things to your children. Teach them diligently. Impress them upon the children. When you sit down and, 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 and when you're at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, teaching children God's word in the real atmosphere of every day life. Wherever they are, wherever we have the opportunity when we're with them, to help them see life from God's perspective. The kids often have great questions. I mean, they are trying to figure out how this deal works. I noticed with my kids, we were, you know, we'd have those, those moments, usually just before bedtime moments, depending on how bedtime went. But if it went okay and you got any opportunity and you're sitting on the bed and you're about to pray, and I remember my kids often would say, well, you know, what's God like? How is, how is Jesus God? What's heaven like? I mean, our kids are trying to figure out what life is all about. One writer said it this way. This is great. He said, how can we illustrate the fact that many Christians fail to see that the Christian faith is all-encompassing? He says, if, if we're inside a building looking out a clear glass window, I might ask you, 
Well, tell me what you see when you look outside. And you might begin by describing the grass and the trees and the vehicles on the street. Now, now wouldn't you find it odd or strange if I asked, well, did you see the window? See, one doesn't talk about the window. Instead, one sees the world through it. And yet, in the end, it is the window that is passed on and transferred to children. They will see the world through the window that we give them. We must make sure our hearts and minds are so filled and saturated with Scripture that our worldview and our life view is shaped by the teaching of God's Word. The next word he uses is the word discipline. And in this context, it reflects the idea of correction. The training is a word that really means to chasten, or it means firmness, or it means enforcing boundaries. But when you think about discipline, let me ask you this. What comes to your mind, punishment or training? How you respond to... Your child, when they've disobeyed or they've disappointed you, deciding what grade of offense has been committed, what, what, what level of discipline is appropriate. Listen, decisions about how many friends to invite to the birthday party pale in comparison to the decision of how to respond to your child when they hurt your feelings in the middle of the party. In discipline, the, the objective is preparing our children for maturity, studying your child, knowing their personality, fitting discipline to, to meet who the child is. Listen, I have three different children, and I have to discipline in three different ways. It's terribly inconvenient. I mean, I have, I have one child that, man, if I just, if I just glance in sort of that parental look with those parental eyes, I mean, they're undone. The soft heart that I have to be very careful with. I have one child who, in the middle of um, a heated disciplinary moment, I said, why do I end up having to yell at you? And she says, well, because I can't hear you unless you're yelling. That's terrible. I have another child who, whose right brain and left brain have ceased to come together in any way, and that child doesn't even know half the time when he's being disciplined or not, or they're being disciplined or not. I didn't mean to give that away. They're all different. We use the Bible as our standards. We concentrate on biblical necessities. We help our children understand them. Too, too many rules will provoke to anger. We've got to be loving and consistent in enforcing the rules we have and that those are guided by what God's Word has to say. Parents, this is why it is important uh, that we focus more than just on a child's behavior. Church, this is why it's important. We focus more than on a child's behavior. Parenting is not behavior modification. It is the confrontation of sin, when sin rises in the heart and life of your son or or your daughter, we must look into it. We we must confront it with firmness, with with tenderness, but to 
remedy a behavior and neglect the issue of sin will make legalists out of our children. To neglect both will fit them perfectly for this world they'll go into. A.W. Tozer said this, A man by his sin may waste himself, which is to waste that which on earth is most like God. This is man's greatest tragedy and God's heaviest grief. Well, the final of the three words, the first is nurturing, the, the next is discipline. The last one he uses in our translation here is, is instruction. In other places in the New Testament, the same words translated counsel or counseling. It's to exert influence on the mind, to counsel, to admonish, to correct, to encourage. In discipline, we're laying out the rules. We're enforcing the boundaries. In counseling, in instruction, we're listening. We're loving. We're bringing them along. Parents who counsel their children give them time. They listen to them. They give them touch. They show affection. You're Children, our children, have a need to communicate with you. Are you listening to them? Chuck Swindoll, he um, wrote in this book called Stress Fractures. He was writing about a time, he said, you know, he, he was nervous, he was tense, he he said it this way, he said, I was snapping at my wife and our children, choking down my food at mealtimes, feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. Before long, things around our home started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. It was becoming unbearable. I distinctly remember after supper one evening, the words of our youngest daughter, Colleen, she, she wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her at school that day, and she began hurriedly, Daddy, I want to tell you something, and I'll tell you real fast. Suddenly realizing her frustration, he said, Honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. He said, I'll never forget her answer. She said, Then, Dad, listen slowly. Children need us to listen to them, to laugh with them. When's the last time you laughed with a child? I mean, and if you can't remember, it's been too long. Find one of these parents, say, look, I'd love to have your kid for the day. They'd be like, really? Yes. And go laugh with them. Here's what we need to do. Ask their forgiveness when we blown it. Howard Hendricks would say, children are not looking for perfect parents, they're looking for honest parents. An honest, progressing parent is a highly infectious person. Another thing we can do is encourage kids. Encourage them. You know, listen, there's a reason that I do not teach three-year-olds. It's for their safety. But, but it doesn't mean that I can show up at church and wander my way around in a way that I never have to interact with three-year-olds. You know what? I need to. I need to come across their path and get down on a knee and look into their eyes and say, what a pretty dress you have on. 
Man, I love those shoes that you're wearing. But tell me about what you did that was fun this weekend. Encouraging the children in our midst. Listen, I used to be on staff with Young Life, and we'd have volunteers that would come and work. And we'd go into the high school. We were going to the farthest out kids in the high school. That's the way we'd say it. And the typical Young Life leader, the stereotype that seems to be out there was that, you know, there were, there were college kids, believers, you know, college guys and college gals or, or young adults, you know, that, that seemed attractive and hip and relevant and with it. But I will tell you the best Young Life leaders I ever had were folks that were empty nesters and willing to give their life away to some high school kids. Here's what I discovered. Is that a child will gravitate to the oldest person in the room that they think cares about them. A child will gravitate to the oldest person in a room that they think cares about them. We've got to be those people. We want our children to think, man, maybe they won't know how to express it now. Maybe they won't have words for it now, but someday they think, man, I loved those people. I knew they loved me. Church, we've got to help our parents. I don't know if you've ever thought this about your children. I, I have many times that I want to be like them when I grow up. I, I, catch, a, I catch a glimpse of how it is that God made them. I catch a glimpse of what God has, has mysteriously and wonderfully made about them. I, I, I'm amazed. There's parts of my children I love. My son has this amazing attention to detail. I remember when he was little, Legos scattered all out in his room, thousands of Legos, no, no, no directions, no anything. And at the end of a weekend, man, have built something that just came out of his mind and used every piece there was. Loved it. He's it's funny. He's kept this great humor. He's funnier than I am. He's funny like his mom is. One of the things that will do to me on Sundays, if you're ever at the South Campus, you can watch for this and after the service, people come and you know want to talk about the sermon or, or talk about something. And, and my kids know, hey, look, you know, this dad's you know pastor at that moment, and so they, they don't come up and interrupt those discussions. But my son, and you can watch this, he'll sneak up behind me, stealth. He'll sneak up behind me, and he'll slap me on the butt, and then be gone as quick as he could. And, and the person I'm talking to will never know that it happened. And it will catch me off guard every time, and I'll look around, and he's, you know, he's gone, and he thinks that's hilarious. It is funny. He's bold. I love his boldness. I remember when I was pastoring in Wichita, um, we had Sunday night church, and, and he was with me, Leslie and Maggie, they were at home, and uh, but he was with me at church, and I remember all of a sudden, in the middle of the sermon, there he is standing right there next to me on the stage. He says, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, I can't do anything about that right now. And sweet lady, Jean Huffman, had a, the granola bar in her purse. Carry granola bars in your purse, man, for these kids, all right? It was great. Their children would learn to love that they would they'd learn the, the things of God. And finally, that our children 
would launch. Paul is so clear about this. The word bring them up. Bring them up. The truth is that, that, that some of us, I mean, it's just some of us, I mean, this is the church, I mean, by and large, believers haven't embraced that the Christian life is a journey, but we've got to tell our children, listen, as you're preparing to launch us, you're headed out into the world, Christianity, your, your life of faith, it is a journey with the Savior. We've got to help them understand that what lies before them is a dangerous path. See, sometimes we can think, look, Christian life, Christianity, it is a journey to ever greener pastures for our own comfort. When in fact, it may be a journey of greater discomfort that leads to greater glory of God in our life. Our children have to know this. Maturity in Christ brings with it the resolve to pursue the kingdom of God at the expense of the comforts of this world. Our kids need to know that, and they're, they're watching us. They need to know that the world is broken. They need to know they have a vicious enemy. And children need to know they have sinful hearts. They need a savior. You know, as we launch children and prepare them for the life that God's called them to, we want them to have a lifelong faith. That they'd be in this for the long haul, a sustained understanding, a sustained growing in God's word. Christianity is not this infomercial. It's not get rich quick. It's not lose weight fast. It's a lifelong Journey. We want them to be in this deal 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. We've also got to give our children a vision to lead. We've got to help our children know that, listen, they're the next generation here. They're the next greeters and Sunday school leaders, and small group hosts and preachers. And they've got to know God's calling them to lead. We have to give them a vision to finish. Helping children live with the end in mind. So, so most people in the church today, they dabble in the things of God. And that will not fare well with a post-Christian, post-modern children that are in our midst. We have to help them arrange their life based upon how all of this ends. And that begins with some of us rearranging our lives with the view of how all of this ends. And finally, they need to know this. They need to know the depth and breadth of grace. You know what comes before Ephesians chapter 6 and Paul's letter to Ephesus? Chapters 1, 2, and 3. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the grace of God and all that He's done. Even from before the foundations of time to love us, to call us, to provide the sacrifice for us, to cover over our sins, to bring us from death to life, to call us to a faith that by grace through faith we'd be saved. 
Listen, the hope is not in our children being the perfect child. Jesus was the perfect son. Our hope is not ultimately in our children pleasing their parents. Jesus is the one whom God said, in whom, this is the one in whom I am well pleased. And that is our story in Christ. At the same time, the hope is not in being a perfect parent. We have a perfect father, our father who art in heaven. We don't have to hide from him because of our failures as a parent. We run to him because of his endless grace as a father. I'll end this way. It's a big day in a bird's life when he first begins to fly. His mother senses his readiness as he squirms, stretches his neck, twitches his wings. She may lure him from the nest by holding a tempting tidbit a short bit away, or she may encourage him to take to the air with a gentle nudge. In either case, he flaps for his life, and on that maiden flight, because of her prodding, he's soon soaring off alone to explore the wide world around him. You know, it's sad to say birds have more sense than some human parents. Our feathered friends seem to know that the aim of Caring for their young is to fit and furnish them to leave the nest while many parents seem to be unaware that someday their children must leave the home and make it on their own. They invest precious little time or effort in preparing them for an independent life, a, a God-dependent life. The kids suddenly find themselves as young men or women facing the prospect of leaving home, ill-equipped to hold a job, handle their money, succeed at their marriages, open the word of God. These are skills that must be learned and nurtured and molded. And the best way to learn them is from parents in the context of a community of grace that's praying and supporting and encouraging and counseling and cheering parents on every step of the way. Hey, listen, I, I hope that one of the great legacies of Bethel that contends to be one of the great legacies of Bethel, this is a Great place to raise kids. It's a great place to be a parent. That there's lots of grace and lots of love and lots of counsel and lots of people rooting you on. As you wander many days into the great unknown of parenting. So if you would, um, would you bow with me and let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless the time we've had. Father, thanks for the word that you've given us. Thank you that as we bow our heads, we call you Father. That you are our God. You are omniscient and present everywhere. That with a word you spoke all of this into creation. That you are transcendent and high above Every other name. And yet at the same time, Father, you come to us in intimacy as a caring father for a child. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would, you would draw us close as your children. Father, that we would, we would find our, our hearts 
by your spirit, drawn to your son, Jesus. That, Father, we'd know the, the truth that our faith, that, that by your grace, through faith in your son, Jesus, all that he is, Father, is counted to us. When you see us, you are pleased with us. Men and women and sons and daughters. And Father, you've given us this language. You've given us these human relationships. You've designed a family in such a way that, Father, we know what it is that you are our Father. So, Father, in, in all of this, I, I, I pray for the, the kids in our midst. I pray for the kids in our homes. Pray they'd know your grace. Father, I pray your grace would be poured out through us. And that for all of us as a church, we would come to more beautifully and clearly display the wonders and the grace and the mercy of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, the name of Jesus and by your spirit. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.